Ephesians 3.14. This is God's word. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Indeed, we do thank God for his word. Well, so helpful to have Ephesians 3, uh, 17 and 19 open in front of you. We're going to stick pretty closely to that this morning uh, as we think about God's love for us. Uh, It's Williams Wordsworth who said that all the world loves a lover. And if you Google the word love, and I have, you get 8,690,000,000 results. I didn't check them all. We love love. Love is all you need. Love's the answer. Money can't buy me love. Love will find a way. We love people. We love things. We can be loved. We give love. We fall in love. We fall out of love. Our books, our films, our songs are dominated by love. We might say that love is something we know about. And yet the Bible talks of love in such a way that we need to reconsider what we think we know. God has something to teach us about love. So with the words of love divine, all love's excelling, ringing in our ears, I want to turn to these few verses in Ephesians 3 and consider a a, a tricky phrase by Paul that's all about God and Christ and love. Let's look at it again. This is the second half of 17 to 19. Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. To know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. These are verses about love. The first word in the original is love, and that sets the tone for Paul's prayer. So three loves this morning I want to consider. We'll show you these now. You'll see where we're going. God's love for us in Christ, Christ's love for us in the world, and in our love here and in the future. First of all, God's love for us in Christ. With the first word of that sentence being love, that sets the tone. It's love that comes first. Love comes first. Before Paul gets to pictures of being rooted or being established, love is first. 
Now, it's supposed to be that God's love for us in Jesus that motivates us to love others, and Paul will say more about that in this letter, but he's setting up the idea early on here in chapter three. If you were to glance ahead to four verse two and five verse two, you can see it. Those are two verses where he says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Or in five two, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The seed of those later words is here in 317. With that in mind, it's not to be read as a prayer that we might love Christ more. It's a prayer that we would understand his love for us. Now that's personal knowledge. It's not just the flat knowledge that God loves us. You know it. You feel it. That's the Christian response. And you'll know it and you'll feel it and you'll understand it. You'll really grasp it because you'll change you'll soften, you'll become more and more like Jesus. You'll have that indwelling of these verses that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. You see, love is the soil in which believers are rooted and in which they grow. It's the foundation upon which they're built. Soils, roots, growth. They pick up one of Paul's metaphors here. It's one of the gardener's world of being rooted. The other is from the world of the builder and the architect being established like a building with good foundations and strong walls. We know these pictures are already part of what Paul does, don't we? Even with a passing understanding of Corinthians or Galatians, you'll know that we are God's building, that we're God's harvest field. God is the builder God is the gardener. But I think it's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians that really develops what Paul means here by love. Being rooted in love means that we need to bear fruit. Many of us could rhyme off the fruit of the Spirit, but living them is something different, isn't it? Even the way we think about love and kindness, peace and patience might need some provoking. But love is the key Think about it like this. Joy is love singing. Peace is love resting. Long suffering or patience is love enduring. Kindness is the touch of love. Goodness is love's character, it's good. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetting. And self-control means that love holds the reins. In short, that is a lifestyle of love. You might want that. I do. But you'll never get it on your own, will you? Like me, I'm sure you've tried and failed. We can't muster this on our own. It requires not only a work of God, but also a deep, personally owned understanding of Christ's love for us. Christ is the motivator here. That's God's love for us in Christ. What about Christ then? What about his love for us in the world? This is the complicated bit in this letter. Um, the four dimensions you have there, some have taken breadth, length, depth, and height to refer to other things, like the power of God, or the mystery of salvation, 
or God's wisdom. But the plain reading is more about Christ's love than anything else. Look at it again. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Do you see that? It's the matchless love of Jesus that's in mind here. You've had this from Paul before. Romans 8 has it. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? That's how strong it is. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For the sake, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to the slaughter. Paul also says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I know those are well-known words, but the love is the engine there. It's a beautiful thought concerning love. It's inspired some of the best writing from the best people in history. These are words of love. These are words that soar. It's a love that's wide enough to embrace the world. It's a love that's long enough to last forever. It's a love that's high enough to take sinners to heaven. And it's a love deep enough to take Christ to the depths of the lowest sinner. It was our Baptist friend, Charles Spurgeon, who saw so much in this description that he could focus on each bit individually. Uh, in terms of how long Christ's love is, he said this, it's so long that your old age can't wear it out. Isn't that good news? It's so long that your continual trouble cannot exhaust it. it your successive temptations can never drain it dry. Like eternity itself, it knows no end. Now that's good, but it's just a shadow of what Paul expresses here in Ephesians 3. And even his expression doesn't really fully grasp love. It reminds me that my own love can't touch a love like this. Yes, I can wrap my feelings in, in words and phrases that sound good, but they're just attempts, they're just tries to inflate a small love into something much bigger. Uh, we hear these attempts all the time. Occasionally, uh, the family and I, we catch some of Steve Wright's Sunday love songs on the way up the road to Armagh. It's a long drive. And the requests for the songs are so interesting. They're full of superlatives. I'm sure you've heard these. Tell Nancy I love her more than anything. Please play our song and tell Dave he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Tell Susan happy anniversary and the past 50 years have been the best of my life. Those are lofty statements of love, well meant, I'm sure, sincere, no doubt, but they do not account for the fights, the frustrations, the bad times, and that any marriage can hit and any friendship will know. I'll say this as well, that any church can experience the fights, the frustrations. Paul prays here that it would be better that we would come to a better, more mature understanding of Jesus' love, and that love will never fail. That love will never let you down. It's the best thing that's ever happened to us. 
So these dimensions are about Christ. Keep that in mind. You come then to another tricky idea in the letter. It's the knowledge and understanding of this love is actually beyond us. We're not going to get it this morning. We're going to start to get it, but we're not going to get it. These ideas are actually too high for us to see or reach. But Paul asks in his prayer that we would. So knowledge is beyond our reach, but we can grasp something of it. The other good news of these verses is that we do not reach for that alone. Think about it. Paul prays for it, and so should we. And that's why we're forced to think about ourselves this morning, our love here and in the future. In these lines, there's a consideration of the dimensions of Christ's love, but then there's also that it's shared by all believers. Did you see that? This is why Paul mentions the saints or God's holy people. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, all the saints. Now, they're not angels. The angels get it. They get God's love. They are in his constant presence. They know more of this than we do. This then is a prayer for us. This insight into a better understanding of Christ's love for us is for everybody. It's for the benefit of the church. And so horizontally, we experience that love by showing love to each other, regardless of background. We need to forgive each other because Christ has forgiven us. We must show God's love by putting up with difficult people and offering patient, forbearing love, the same love that God offers to us. Takes you back to the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? It's the Spirit who does these things, these impossible things with our hearts. We can change We can become more patient with each other. You can. We can stop being so selfish. God wants us to make, be more and more like Jesus. Another benefit of this, folks, is the fullness. Paul finishes his prayer in verse 19 saying that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Think of that as maturity, spiritual maturity. It's where... We struggle the most, isn't it? We feel stuck, like we're not moving too far. And yet in this letter, we've already read about the fullness of Jesus. If you go back to chapter 122, you read there that God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells everything in every way. See that? And then in chapter 3, he prays for the fullness. Well, if the church is Christ's body, is the fullness of him, then why pray for it in chapter 3? That's not a mistake. It's not an oversight on Paul's part. It's the idea of already and not yet. I'm sure you've heard this before. We are to become who we truly are. As individual people, this better understanding is a road that we walk. We're gradually being filled with more and more of Christ's love. As the church, we've already got that fullness among us as we grow together towards maturity. We're growing towards heaven. We're getting ready for heaven. But God's the one who gets us ready. 
He is fullness. You get a lot of this already, not yet talk uh, in the Bible. You know how you say we will be saved, but we're so sure of that that we can say we are saved? Paul does that, we do that. We get a sense of the already and the not yet. Here you have a promise of the fullness. And none of that maturity, none of that fullness can happen without love and power in Christ and available to us because of him. This is what makes us different, folks. It's another way of saying it's what makes us holy, different. We fear that. We fear being different. We fear change. It sounds hard. We don't necessarily love the word sanctification. It sounds like a big, fancy, boring doctrine. And we're more than ready to admit that it sounds really hard. But this is what we're about in this prayer. There's a freedom here that you don't have to sanctify yourself. You are a work of God. He is the one who plants you, who lays the foundation, who builds the house. He's the one who changes us, who makes us holy, and he does that in the power and the love of Jesus Christ. It's love for Jesus that drives out the world. And our love for him must come from his love for us. Hill Street's well aware that Christ is the central theme of the Bible and certainly this letter. Knowledge of him, understanding him, these are the keys to change. If that's true, then it flows out of us. It flows out of us to other people, to the church, to those outside the church. You see our love in here. And it advertises God's love out there. Jesus prayed before the cross that his love would go to the disciples and then to others. He prayed this. He said, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you've loved me. Why do we love each other? So that the world will know that God sent Jesus. That's the working out of real love. You can't keep it to yourself. We can't just use it to mend our broken relationships, although it can do that. But if that's all you do with it, then it turns into a selfish love. For those outside our church doors, our love has to leave this building with us. You can't keep it for yourself. It only works when you give it away. We can only give it away if you have it in the first place. Listen, our denomination has had a hard week. We've been accused this week of being unloving. Now, if that's true, then I believe it's because the love between ourselves is deficient. But at the same time, love is not the same as approval. It's not loving to allow people to die in their sin. The loving thing is to remember Christ point people to Christ 
and see that faith means learning to be more like him. And that means leaving sin behind. That's loving. We only do that, folks, because of God's love for us in Christ, Christ's love for us in the world, and cultivating our own love now and in the future. You can only give it away if you have it in the first place. Let us pray. Father, it's because of Jesus we kneel before you, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with the power through your spirit that our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that being rooted and established in love, we may have power together with all your people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of your son Jesus and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled with it to the measure of fullness. Now to you, Lord, who is able to do measurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen.